So what do you say? Christ is risen. Christ is risen. This Easter morning, I would like us to evaluate one simple question, and that is, are we living the resurrected life? Just a moment ago, you saw on the screen Romans 6, 4 that says this, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So evidently, according to God's word, the resurrected life equals a newness of life. It's interesting in the passage that we're going to deal with today in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says the same truth in a little bit of a different way. He says this, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, I'm going to deal with this passage in a little bit more depth in a few moments. But for now, just realize that God is looking to us to live the resurrected life. He doesn't want us to sleep. He doesn't want us to act like dead, depraved people like we did in the past. But rather, He wants us to live as Christ lived. He wants us to love as Christ loved. He wants us to sacrifice as Christ sacrificed. See, his death, his burial, and his res resurrection afforded us the opportunity to be able to live the resurrected life. Yes, indeed, Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. The question is, have we? Have we arisen are we living as a body of Christ? Are we as individuals living the resurrected life? Now the reality is, in this room, there are some that are and there are some that are not. Let's allow God's Word to be an encouragement to us. We have been in the book of Ephesians, and the first three chapters of Ephesians laid the foundation of doctrine of what God is about and what He wants in the church. But in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he really gets into the practical aspects of what the resurrected life looks like. And he gives us specific details. That's the loving nature of our God that he lays it out for us. Last week, we looked at how we need to be uh, pure in our relationships. That we, there should be no hints of sexual immorality or impurity, but we should be pure. Why is that? Because the resurrected life looks different than when we were dead in sin. We are to be pure as God is pure. It all relates to us becoming like God in our behavior, in our life. Today we're going to be looking as long, uh, with the title of our message being, For As Long As We Should Live. Now last week's title was this, Forsaking All Others. This week's title is For As Long As We Shall Live. This is actually a two-parter. This week and next week, so we've officially extended Easter one week. So I expect every single buddy, every single person back next week for the second part of the message. And then in two weeks, we're going to cover the last message, Till Death Do Us Part. Now if you put it together, forsaking all others, for as long as we shall live, till death do us part. Kind of sounds like the marriage vow that many of you made. Remember when you stood there and you said those words. Now, some of you will say them someday in the future. See, what, our say, what we're saying is that our relationship with God is a vow. It is a commitment. 
It is, I am separated for you. For as long as I shall live till death do I, do I part, I am yours, God. I want to live the resurrected life in this life here. It's interesting that God often uses analogies in life to, in terms of our relationship with him that relates to each other. He wants us to be dedicated to him. So therefore, it's natural when we get married, we make those commitments to each other. See, the resurrected life doesn't just deal with our relationship with God. It deals with how we live it out with each other and especially with our spouse. I know for my wife and I, we've had our own struggles living out the resurrected life just in our marriage. Because you know what? We have found that there's a lot of twists and turns in this life. About 28 years ago, we're going to, in August, we'll celebrate our anniversary. We began a journey together, my wife and I. We began a journey, and when we, when we, when we, we, when we made a commitment to each other, we stood before each other and we said, till death, uh, till, uh, as long as we shall live, till death do us part. We said those words, for as long as we shall live. And we were starry-eyed. We kind of had that look that says nothing can happen that will tear us apart. But little did we realize all the twists and turns in this life. And it has been a struggle. It has. It's been a good struggle. But when you stay close to God, you can live a resurrected life in your marriage. I know for my wife and I, if we were to give our, 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 our marriage a title in terms of different chapters, our first chapter would be called this, A Few Hiccups. A Few Hiccups. You see, as we were engaged, we kind of had this plan in mind. We had this plan that we would get married. We would be married for about four or five years before we had children. We would become financially stable within our careers. We would buy our home, and we will get, well, well that's how it's going to go. And this is a great plan for us to follow. So on August 23rd, 1986, we stood before each other. We made that vow, and we, we, we started that journey. Now, little did we realize that 15 months later, we would receive a message by, by way of a little blue plus sign on a pregnancy strip that said, you're pregnant. Okay, we can handle this. This is a minor hiccup to our plans. So on our, a week before our second anniversary, we celebrated the birth of our bundle of joy, Sarah Lene, into our life. What an incredible, what an incredible thing. But then 20 months later, our second hiccup came into the world. Joshua Stephen, truly another bundle of joy in our life. And then, 18 months after Joshua was born, we celebrated hiccup number three, Philip Andrew, into our life. Again, another blessing, a bundle of joy from God. Now, let's review the Marshall Plan. After four-plus years of marriage, we had three children under the age of three. Leanne had left her career as a medical assistant to be a full-time mom with two kids in diapers and a little girl who thought she was the boss of everybody. 
I was working as a youth pastor making a whopping $14,500 a year single income at that time. And we were on wick. We were on, we were scratching and clawing and doing anything we could to make it. And somehow, amazingly, we even bought a house for $36,000 in Firestone Park. By the way, that's what a lot of people pay for a car nowadays. So you say, oh, Steve, what's the point? The point is we didn't understand back then all the hiccups that would be in life. And they were God's blessings. We didn't understand all the bumps and the turns. And, and we, when we made a vow to each other, when we made a vow to God to live a resurrected life, we said, for as long as we shall live, no matter what life throws at us, we're going to do that. But we could have taken a different route. You know, we could have gotten mad at God. We could have been indifferent towards God. We could have allowed division to enter into our marriage. We could have allowed perversions to enter into our marriage. My goodness, there's been all kinds of things, inventions since we got married. The invention of the internet, the invention of cell phones, the invention, even the VCR, man. That started to come into play in the late 80s, okay, or the mid-80s. So a lot of things have happened, and there's all kinds of junk that could be thrown into our life, vices that could get a hold of our hearts. But we had choices. Would we live a resurrected life, or would we live like the world, like we weren't trusting God, like we weren't trusting the body of Christ? Here's the point. Each and every one of us today have a choice as to whether or not we will follow Christ and live the power of the resurrected life. We really do have that choice before us. And there are some here that this whole Christianity thing is kind of a new thing. I want to challenge you today to listen to what the Word of God has to say because the Word of God is powerful and it has practical advice and counsel and direction for our lives. And I hope that we would submit ourselves to that. There are some that have been kind of following God with their minds, but it hasn't translated to their hearts, and it hasn't translated to their actions. My hope is that your heart would be quickened, that you would, help, that you would come to the understanding that there's no other way to live but to live by the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And my hope is that those that are living that right now, that you would go out with joy that you would have such joy knowing that there is peace and security in the midst of knowing that I'm under the umbrella of God's care and protection by living out the resurrected life. Let's pray before we get into God's Word. We'll be looking at Ephesians 5. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use your Word. Use your Word to counsel our hearts. Help us to see what you want us to see. May your Spirit work in each and every one of our lives. I pray, Father, that you would remove any veil that might be on our eyes that, we couldn't, uh, that would prevent us from seeing. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have your understanding. May your spirit do a work in each of our hearts for where we're at in life. And I pray that you would do something beautiful today. In Christ's name, amen. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to start with verse 8. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at six characteristics of the resurrected life this week. And then we're going to look at six next week. And so what I want you to do is take each of these characteristics 
and use them as a benchmark or a tool of evaluation in your own life. Where are you at in regards to these things that the Scriptures prescribe as a characteristic of a resurrected life? So take and let's learn from God's Word. The first characteristic is foundational for our passage today. It's in verse 8. I call it credible transformation that's taken place. Credible transformation. Take a look at verse 8. It says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now the passage, the Apostle Paul, as he's penning these words, he's giving us a contrast. He says, okay, at one time you were over here. You were living in darkness. This is who you were. You were darkness. But now, because of what Christ has done, you are light. Now, notice what's happened here. The Apostle Paul is describing our past condition. Now, Pastor Brian last week said, you know, if there is no conviction of sin, if there's no struggle with sin, then it's very possible that you are not a Christ follower, which means that you would be in darkness. That's possible within this room. But please realize when you come to the understanding that, yeah, this is dark. I don't like dark. I know that I'm separated from God. I know that what has separated me is my sin, and what I need is a Savior. I know that Christ went to, lived a perfect life, then went to a cross. He bled and died for me. His blood was shed for me. He went to the grave and he rose again to prove that he was God. And he offers his hand to me and he wants to do something miraculous in my life. Notice what Colossians chapter 1 says he does. God, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Look at it on the screen who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved. So take a look at what happened. I'm over here. I realize I'm dark. I realize I need God. I accept what God has done. And in accepting it, I'm surrendering. God then takes and he pulls me out of the muck and the mire of darkness. He takes me and he says he qualifies me. In other words, his blood washes over me. He cleanses me. And he takes and says, you are now my child. You are now on the path of righteousness. You are light in the Lord. That's who you are. My friends, that's the transformation that the Apostle Paul's talking about. The question is, has that transformation taken place? If that transformation has truly taken place, please realize that you're not a representative of the light. No, 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 no. You are the light. And, and let me put it in a different way. You're not a representative of the church. No, you are the church. You say, well, Steve, well, why such distinction? Well, sometimes, and let me give you an illustration that will help you understand. Sometimes we as Christians, those that have given their life to Christ, we think we're only representatives of the church. And so therefore our job is to invite our neighbor to come to this place. And when they've actually come to this place, we've, we believe that they've been introduced to the church for the very first time. No, that's incorrect. You, because you are the church. 
The first time you walked across street and you shook your neighbor's hand and said, hey, I'm Steve, how are you doing? The first time that you had them over to your house for dinner, when you hung out at the 4th of July fireworks, when you got to know what's going on in their life, when you started to pray for them, and when you started asking them, how can I lift you up? How can I pray for you, even though they were far from God? And when you finally got a chance to be able to share your grace story with them, guess what? That's when they were introduced to the church because you are the church. It's not here. There's a lot of work that goes on before anybody ever comes here. They are introduced to the church. Why? Because you are light. You are the church. And that's why it's important that we get out of darkness and that we live in that light so that we are credible. Here's the first evaluation question as we evaluate this. Has credible transformation taken place in your life? Has this happened? If you're still over here, you have an opportunity. I'm going to be praying at the end of this service, and I hope that you would say, yeah, I want to make that decision. I want to grasp on to Christ. Here's the second thing that Paul reveals. It's found in verse 8 and 9. Take a look at this. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. Now notice what Paul's going to do. He's going to build upon each point. So this is the transformation. He's saying, okay, now that you're in the light, I'm going to quantify what light is about. Light is good, right, and true. And so God in his wisdom says this is what should be in, in your life. He uses the word walk. The word walk means to pattern yourself on a regular basis. In other words, develop a new rut in your life. You had an old rut that went this way that involved all these things that involved darkness. But he says the new rut in your life is going to be that which is good, right, and true. Now this is how wise God is. God has now given us a matrix by which we measure the decisions that we make in life. So I know that I have trouble. So the, the man who says, I have trouble with pornography, and he's up late at night, and his wife is at sleep, and his kids are at sleep, asleep, and he thinks, I'm going to get on the computer. Aha, the matrix. What does God say? What are the parameters? Is it good? Is it right? Is it true? Is it good for me, he should ask. What, will I be doing what is right? Will it lead me into the truth? It falls, it falls in, every, in every decision we make. How about if I'm buying a new car? We ask, is it good at this stage of life? Would it be right for me to take on debt? If I have no debt, no problem. If I am up to my eyeballs in debt, no, that would be a bad idea. We can answer that question. Will I be able to stay true to my values? How about should I go to the company picnic or the company party? Well, is it good for me to be a presence of Christ at that party? Will I be tempted to sacrifice what is right? Will I be able to live out truth in this situation? You see how practical God is? Good, right, true. Now here's one caveat for us to think about. There's been times that we have been known to rationalize. And when we rationalize, that means that we need to call up a friend, phone a friend, and say, okay, I, I need your input on this. The Bible calls it wise counsel. At times, we need somebody in my community group to hold, hold me accountable. Okay, is this a wise thing? 
Here's the second question of evaluation as to whether we're living the resurrected life. Do I have a pattern of doing what is good, what is right, and what is true? Only you can answer that question. We move on in the passage. Take a look at the third thing he says in verse 10. And he says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now here's the third characteristic, that we exercise discernment in everyday decisions. Now I want you to know the word discernment here means to prove or to test everything to make sure it's pleasing to God. Do you realize that that's what God wants us to do? He wants us to test everything. This was so much on the heart of Paul, he says it in other places. Look at this in Philippians 1. He says this, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to what? Discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. Now think about this. Think about how practical God is here. He is saying that we have to take every decision, every moment. And you realize life is filled with all kinds of decisions. Sin is one decision away, and so is a choice for doing what is right, good, and true. That's a decision as well. And so we are to try to take every moment and every decision in our work, in our recreation, and my friends, even in our church, we need to engage our minds and ask ourselves, is this right? Is this good? Is this true? We need to be like the Thessalonian church. You know what Dr. Luke said about the Thessalonian church? He said this in Acts 11. He said, they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. My friends, I want to lay it out right now. We want accountability. In this ministry, when we open this, we're trying to give you the author's original intent. But I'm going to tell you that this guy here makes mistakes. Brian Persley definitely makes mistakes. <laughs> we all make mistakes. And please realize that. And, but, so we want you to test it. And it's not just us. There's a lot of stuff out there. You realize that we, we live in a smorgasbord of, of, of preachers today. It's, uh, it's on the internet. You can click. You can watch it on TV. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of junk out there. There's a lot of prosperity gospel that says, God wants you healthy, wealthy, and he wants to take you and bless you. And for $49.99, well, you know the rest of it. That's not God. Try to explain that to all the disciples that were martyred. Okay, that doesn't work. We got to engage our mind in every aspect of our life. And parents, we need to teach our kids as well. There comes a point where I, you just do what I say doesn't work anymore. We have to help them discern the movies they should watch or the music they listen to. Help them review it. Help them think it through against God's word. The third question is this. Are we exercising discernment in our daily decisions? Are you living the resurrected life? Are you exercising this discernment? Number four, take, take a look at verse 11. Take no part, no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. 
Now, I'm stating this resurrection principle in the positive. If we're not to take a part of anything in the darkness, it implies that what we are to do is to have an uncompromising stand for God. That's what we are to do. Now, the question is, am I taking an uncompromising stand for God in the midst of a very corrupt world? And I'm going to tell you that if you don't, as believers in Christ, develop convictions in your life, then you will not take the uncompromising stand that you need to take. Last week, Pastor Brian, as he preached the message of God's Word from Ephesians 5, there were applications that he gave. I want you to know that those applications were first talked about by, my, uh, by Brian and me. We walked through them together. I knew exactly what was going to be said, and I believe they needed to be said. And the reason I think that they need, and maybe it comes from my 28 years in the counseling room, but I believe there is a pandemic problem that exists, not in the world, that goes beyond pandemic. I don't know what the next word is, but it's bad. But in the church, it is a pandemic problem in terms of our moral purity. And the question is, it, it, why? Why is it happening? Because I believe there is a lack of conviction, a lack of intentionality of each man and woman in thinking through, how will I live out my life? My friends, if we're going to live an uncompromising stand for God, I want to give you a tool. It's something that I have used in my life for years, and I believe it will be helpful to you. It's three words, conviction, plan, and action. Conviction, plan, and action. Let me give you two, two illustrations to sit, show you how this goes into play. For many men, you know around February, not all men, but many men know that around February, the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition comes out at your local gas station. You know that they're on the stand. You know that you're tempted by it. It is soft pornography. And I will tell you that this man is tempted by that kind of stuff. And I don't like it. So what am I going to do to safeguard against that kind of temptation? It starts with Steve Marshall's conviction. Conviction comes from the Word of God. Let me tell you where my conviction comes. It comes from Job 31.1. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. That's my conviction. Well, what's my plan? My plan is this. I'm going to remove myself two steps from the area of vulnerability in regards to this particular temptation. Well, what's my action? That means I'm going to remove myself. So instead of going into the gas station to pay where I know that is, I am removing myself, step one, and step two is I'm going to pay at the pump. You say, Steve, do you really think through aspects of your life like that? Yes! And I am not addicted to pornography. I am not having an affair with my uh, on somebody else with my wife. I I'm not doing that. I'm not uh, cheating. I'm not doing these things, and it's not because of me. It's because of the grace of God that flows through me and the convictions of God's Word. It's not me. I promise you, I'm a powerless person. But Christ working through me, resurrection power, gives you the capability to take a stand. Well, let's say it's in the area of materialism. Some of the guys feel picked on. That, now, not to say that this just applies to women, but let's just say it's that area. Well, what's your conviction? First Timothy 6 says this. 
but godliness with contentment is great gain. Mm. For we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out. So what's your plan? Remove yourself two steps from the temptation. What's the action? The mall. The mall is the temptation. The black and white store or the, or the Gap or the Express or whatever. The whatever. <laughs> I don't even know I go into the mall so little. So you remove yourself one step. Step two, don't even drive near the mall because you know that there's this spirit of uncontrol that comes across and you, cr you find yourself parking and you say, if I find a parking space up close to the building, then I know it's the Lord's will. <laughs> you know you do that. Here's the point. Our job as Christ followers, as men and women, is to take no part in unfruitful deeds of darkness and thus we must become people of conviction so that we have an uncompromising stand for God. The question is this, in evaluation number four, are we serious? Are we serious as men? Are we serious as women about taking an uncompromising stand for God? Resurrection power gives you that ability. Number five, look at the last part of verse 11 into 14. But instead expose them for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret but when anything is exposed by light it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light now here is a practical resurrection characteristic that you expose secret sins paul is giving teeth to the Christ follower, to living out the resurrected life. And the key word that he uses here is to rebuke, okay? It is to, he says, instead expose them. And the word expose means literally to rebuke and to bring conviction and confession of guilt. Now our job is to rebuke the shameful deeds of darkness in our life. And I want you to know that even though I have been redeemed and I am light, I am still tempted. And I can still do things that are dark. And so what he says is you have to expose those things. It means that we cannot keep them secret. See, the Apostle Paul is giving a window into our human nature. Our human nature is to hide things. And we learned it even when we were a little child. I can remember when my son Joshua was potty training. He was two years of age, and we had gone through all the gimmicks that parents do. You poop in the potty, and then you wave goodbye, you get a little tree. Yeah, yo, let's keep doing that, Joshua. But occasionally we would have friends at our house, and we would be sitting, and all of a sudden there would be this aroma that would come from behind the couch. And I would say, Joshua, are you pooing your pants? And he would say, no. <laughs> say, Joshua, are you lying to me right now? No. <laughs> Pretty hilarious. But you know, metaphorically speaking, we as adults have been going behind the couch and God says, are you looking at pornography again? Are you envying? Are you bitter? And we say, no. Are you lying to me? No. 
Psalm 90 says this. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. My friends, I don't know what your secret sins are. I could never do that. I am so thankful I don't know. But God knows. So doesn't it make sense that if God already knows them, that we should do exactly what he said in his wisdom, and that is to expose them. You say, well, how do I expose them? Well, the passage says, expose them by light, for when light shines upon them, they become visible. Well, how do I do that? Well, God is wise. He gives us that instruction. Let's take a look at James 5.16. This is what he says. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So here's what you do. You are in your community groups. You get to know, you start to get to know people. You're starting to get to trust people. And there's one person in particular that has strengths that you don't have. And so you call them up in an area of your vulnerability and you say, man, I got a problem. Now here's the key to exposing the sin. You gotta be brutally honest. If you say to your friend or the person in your community group, hey, dude, I'm, I, I'm, I'm concerned that my heart is not in the right place concerning a coworker," What you've done is you have just now shaded it to the positive. You have not really revealed the ugly about the sin. Now, here's the real confession. Okay, here's the deal. I have a horrible relationship with my spouse. It stinks. I have begun an emotional affair with a coworker. I can't stop thinking about him or her. I have been going out to lunch with him or her more frequently, and they are giving me the clear vibe that they want to hook up. Now, my friends, this is honesty. This is light upon the sin, and this is what will save your marriage. The reality as Christ followers, we're capable of doing anything that we could do when we were lost. But here's the difference. We have been set free. We are no longer bound to that sin. We are more than conquerors for those that are in Christ Jesus. And might I say there is much at stake. Our marriages are at stake. Our credibility is at stake. Our future is at stake. And most importantly, the glory and the honor of God is at stake. So number five, evaluate this in terms of the resurrected life. Am I living it? Have you exposed the secret sins of your life? We need to do that. Now the final principle that we're going to look at today is what we started off with in verse 14. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here's the principle, the resurrection principle. We awaken, we, we awaken, we rise, we shine. We awaken from our sleep. We arise from the filth and the depravity, and we enter into the warmth of God's Son, God's truth. Now, my friends, if there is anybody that understands the principle that's being taught, it's anyone that lives in Northeast Ohio. You and I went into a loom of darkness back on November 15th. It has been dark, it has been cold, it has been snowy for five months. Now, I don't know about you, but I felt like a cruel joke was played on us. Last weekend, we had near, nearly 80-degree weather, and on April 15th, tax day, of course, it snowed a couple of inches. But here's the good news. 
this weekend, the sun came out. It melted the snow. It's warm again. And you know what you see? You see people walking outside. It's like this euphoria, like, oh, bring it on. Bring it on. I love the sun. Give me some vitamin D. Come on now. I need that. Spiritually, you and I have exited out of the darkness if you've given your life to Christ. You know what it's like to leave. And our job is to bask in God's truth, God's Son, God's resurrection. And yes, there is a euphoria about being forgiven and being loved and being a child of God. Here's the question. Have you experienced this transition? As we close out, I want to give two appeals. The first appeal is to those that might be seeking. You would say that this whole church deal is a new deal for you. And it's kind of scary. I want you to know, the people around you are scary. Not me. They are. Okay, now we're all a little scary, but that's okay. Because this is different than your norm. But please understand it. Hear what's being said. This is the word of God. And if you're coming to this place of you realizing, yeah, Steve, honestly, I'm, I'm right here. If, if I'm afraid, I don't know what would happen to me if I was to pass from this life. I don't know. I know that I, it feels dark. I know that I feel distant. And my friends, all it comes to is realizing where you're at. That you're separated from God. And all you need to do is believe what Christ has done for you. That he came to restore a relationship. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you hope. And he wants you to live the resurrected life. Do you want these things that we talked about today? Then it, com it comes through a simple decision. It's a profound decision, but it's a simple decision. Yes, God, I will yield. Now, before I get to my second application, I want to just pause, and I would like us to pray. If you wouldn't mind bowing your heads right now. If you're here today, and this, you're, 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 you feel like there's something going on in your heart, and you'd say, Steve, I, I honestly don't feel like that resurrection power is really at work in my heart. I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to embarrass you, but all I want to do is pray for you and if you would say, that's me, raise your hand, and I want to lift you. I won't lift you up by name, but I just want to, in general, pray for those that would say, yeah, I need that in my life. I need to have the security of going from darkness to light. Is there anybody that I can pray for right now? In boldness, raise your hand. Okay. Anybody else? Lord, I pray that you would be with those people that would say, yeah, God, this is what I want. I recognize my need for a Savior. I want to yield my life completely to you. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, and Lord, I, I'm giving it to you. I'm asking that you would forgive me of my sins, and I pray that you would make me whole. I pray that in Christ's name, amen. The last appeal is to the believer who knows that they're right here. The, the appeal is live. Live the resurrected life. Be credible. Do what is good, what is right, what is truth. Exercise discernment. 
Be uncompromising. Expose what is sin. And shine on others the love of God as he has shown, shine, he has given you that warmth of his love. And my friends, when we do that, then I believe transformation will come in each of our communities, whether it's Northampton, whether it's Jackson, whether it's Perry, wherever you live, Uniontown, Greentown, Hartville, doesn't matter. I believe transformation takes place because you are a seed. You are a seed in a neighborhood. You are a seed in an occupation. You are a seed in different places of life where you can be that transforming dark uh, light that pierces the darkness.